Welcome back, y'all, to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Episode 31 here today on this Tuesday evening. A little bit to talk about today, but not too long of an episode. We have golf with the normal update as the season is just underway, about a couple weeks in. And we have an MLB predictions update and outlook on the awards at the end of the season. And then we're going to wrap it up with some NBA news, just a couple things, and then the ice bath, of course. We'll kick it off here with golf, though. We had the President's Cup this past weekend at Quail Hollow Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. And through many different formatted events, the U.S. came out on top 17.5 to 12.5 over the international team. Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth were both dominant as a pairing as were Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantlay. Although world number one Scotty Scheffler went 0-3-1 for the tourney, didn't perform too well in his 2v2 events or in his single event on Sunday. So a little bit disappointing there, but nonetheless, good to see the U.S. come out with a win again as they won the Ryder Cup last year. And they're pretty hot right now, battling the international or European teams, depending on what year it is. As, you know, a lot of the guys that went to the Live Golf Tour were not included this year. You know, guys like Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, guys like that who would normally be on the team if they hadn't defected. But this upcoming weekend, we have the Sanderson Farms Championship at the Country Club of Jackson in Jackson, Mississippi. Sam Burns, who was a member of the President's Cup U.S. roster, won the event last season. This purse is kind of one of the first few events in which the US, or the PGA Tour is increasing the purse to kind of counteract what the Live Golf Tour has done with their $20 million purses each event. So the purse will be 7.9 mil, and the winner will walk away after the four rounds with 1.422 mil on the weekend. So, you know, not a huge payout event, about half of what it is for majors and the players and stuff like that. But nonetheless, another event coming up this weekend as we get geared up, kind of get the season going here as the President's Cup wasn't a PGA Tour event. So I guess the second PGA Tour event of the season. And to wrap up the golf section real quick, uh, as for the Live Golf Tour, their next event will not tee off until the following week. So in nine days in Bangkok, Thailand at the Stonehill course. Purse, as it always is, is set at 20 million. Every event that they have is 20 mil, except for the final event, which is at the end of October in Miami, which is a good bit more. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all that's going on in the golf right now. No new defectors to the Live Golf Tour recently. I don't think we're going to see any really for a while unless someone gets a big offer. But yeah, like I said, pretty much all there is just a Live and a PGA update as well as recapping the President's Cup. Yeah, like you said, nothing really new on the Live front at the moment. Just kind of events going on right now. A little disappointing from Scotty. Well, number one going 0-3-1 on the, on the tourney, but surely he'll bounce back kind of in the next couple weeks, the next couple events he has. But um, we'll shift to the MLB here, and we're going to go, uh, like Brett said, with all the award predictions for the year. Kind of getting redundant with all the stats. I figured we'd give you guys the same names, but kind of a more contextual sense with awards they might win. And then we also got our wild card race update as well. But I'll let Brett kick it off with the AL Scion race. Yeah, you know, MLB is wrapping up. Each team has about 9-10 games left uh, before the postseason kicks off here in a couple weeks. I know a couple teams clinched the division today. Cardinals clinched the NL Central and the Yankees clinched the AL East tonight. So those divisions are wrapped up and then also solidifies what teams will be competing for the wildcard spot as they're no longer contending for that division title. Uh, but like you mentioned, we're going to alternate here with a few award predictions to wrap up the season. Kick it off here with the Cy Young for the AL. We're going to talk about really three main guys for each award. And these three guys have been right at the top for most of the season. We got the young guy, Phenom, both sides of the ball can hit. 
he can pitch. Shohei Otani from the Angels, not a shock. He's up here also, MVP candidate as well. Dylan Cease from the White Sox, really strong all season long. You know, a lot of the young guys you've seen, Alcantara and McClanahan, have been really solid this year, but I think Cease has probably been the most consistent out of all three of them. And to wrap up this three-man prediction we got going, Justin Verlander of the Astros, of course. You know, Astros well on their way to the best record in the AL. They win a few more games here, but playing well, and he's been nothing short of spectacular this season, having arguably a career year and what's been a very storied career so not shocked to see him being a front runner there for the AL and should be fun to see who ends up winning it yeah I think definitely kind of separated themselves I think Shane McClanahan was in this in this group for a while but just the injury um that he had missed a couple games missed a few starts kind of takes him out of it similar to Tony Gonson in the National League um but Otani's been a guy who's doesn't really have as many innings pitched a lot of the other guys but he's the, the league leader in strikeouts per nine um which is really impressive so really good stuff from from Otani not shocking really the only other guy really in contention for the American League MVP, but Verlander having a career in Dylan Cease, a guy who really upped his game uh, post All Star break and had a great, great finish to his season. He's going to wrap it up here pretty soon, hopefully, with the White Sox sneaking into the wild card, but we'll see. Uh, we'll get into the National League here with the Cy Young race. It was really a one-horse race kind of in the second half of the season um, when Tony Gonsolin got hurt. But as of late, Alcantara hasn't been great. Julio Arias, the Dodgers, has been really good, as is Carlos Rodon of the San Francisco Giants. Um, I think it's really a three-horse race at the moment. When you look at Gonsolin with the injury, DeGrom didn't pitch much this year. Consistently actually on, on the baseball field. Corbin Burns, again, up and down season. Aaron Nola struggles with the long balls. I think it's really going to be these three guys. I think Alcantara probably wins it. But I think if Arias or Rodon has a really, really good start, maybe a guy goes, and I don't know if, if Julio's end up going past six innings for the rest of the year because he's probably going to be the ace come playoff time for the Dodgers but you know should he go you know seven innings on you know 70-ish pitches and have a you know shutout outing um, he could maybe make a late run and we took over Alcantara for the ERA lead so um, strikeouts probably you know what's what's going to do him in but either way all three of these guys may be deserving and like I said likely to be Alcantara like you just said these three guys along with a couple others have been solid this whole season for the NL these three guys are just a little bit better a little more consistent uh, specifically but I do think it's going to be Alcantara. You know, what he's done this year for the Marlins has been incredible for him to be in this spot, obviously. And really hasn't wavered. I think he had one blow-up start uh, throughout the course of the season, but he's been starting regularly over the course of the year and has a lot of wins under his belt and has been real consistent. So I think it'll go to him. There's a lot of guys that have pitched really solid this year, and it's really impressive to see him kind of separate himself from the pack with such a, you know, a new year with a different kind of ball and stuff. And obviously all the inspections with pitchers. So really spectacular to see what these pitchers are doing in this day and age of the league. But we're going to move on here to MVP predictions. I got three for the AL. It's going to be Jordan Alvarez from the Astros. Incredible hitter this year. Uh, Hits for power, hits for average. Uh, Do it all guy right in the middle of that lineup. Otani, we just mentioned for Cy Young. Also, has had a good average over the course of the year. You know, while the Angels were eliminated, as they normally are, him and Trout, you know, when healthy, have been really solid for them all season long, to no one's surprise. And then likely the winner, as he's still sitting at 60 home runs, even though the Yankees did clinch the division tonight. Uh, Aaron Judge is on a tear this year. He leads the MLB in like 10 different offensive stats, which is just crazy what he's done over the course of the year consistently has been impressive you know he started out hot he came out of the all-star break hot and while he's homerless in his last seven uh he has about 10 more games to get two home runs so i don't know he should be able to do it but you never know honestly i mean he's probably definitely thinking about it more than he was you know when he was at 59 so it probably plays a role but also it's just going back to the fundamentals i think he's going to break the record uh, by the end of the season here in a couple weeks 
But yeah, I mean, MVP for him is figured to be, you know, pretty much a lock just based off what he's done at the plate this season. Yeah, I think we put the, the two others in here just because as kind of a, a pageantry, if you will, trying to get these guys, you know, pleasantry, get these guys into the race. You know, Otani certainly had an argument for a while with the absolute tear that Judge went on in the month of August and through the, most of the month of September. He's he's the runaway winner. He may win unanimously. And, you know, there's probably going to be a couple guys that vote for Otani simply because they are stubborn and think because he pitches and he hits, he's automatically the most valuable. And, and, and while I do agree with it, it just there's no one's been more valuable than, than Aaron Judge in baseball this year. Um the fact that he kept the Yankees afloat and they've now clinched the division. They, they wouldn't be in this position, position without him and, and the absolute monstrous month of September that he had. He had and it can, will continue to have the last few days here of the month. But kind of get in the National League where similar deal. Um, most of the season, it's been one guy. Although, in fairness, the last month or so, it's not been. I guess it's been a, been a contrast as opposed to what um, you know we've seen, I guess, in the American League where the judge kind of took over and really solidified himself. Paul Goldschmidt, I wouldn't say he was in a slump, but he just didn't do that. Kind of allowed some room for error here and really a four-horse race or three-horse race. Um, kind of hard to determine. I mean, there's a lot of guys that we talked about here. I think guys we have on this list that, that they don't have on this list are, uh, you know, Nolan Arenado, teammate of Paul Goldschmidt, Mookie Betts, Manny Machado. Guys that could all be on this list are very deserving, especially when the, when the, you look at the war numbers. But um, four guys on here, we've got obviously Paul Goldschmidt. we got Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers. Austin Riley of the Braves and Pete Alonso of the Mets. You know, one could look at look at it and go, those are just the best statistical players from the best teams. And while, while that is the case, it also, you know, speaks to the fact that these guys have stepped up to the plate this year and they've um, done exactly what's been expected of them, if not a little bit more. Um, and again, I still think Goldie's going to win, but could one of these guys go off the last, you know, 10, 15 games and go on an absolute tear? I could see any one of these four guys winning it, um, especially when you look at what, you know, the race that the Braves and the Mets are in, you know, take him down to the wire and Riley has a, a tear over the last five games and they go five and over, over their last five and they win the division by, by a slim margin um, because of what he does. I could see him getting a couple of late votes and kind of a, a late push um, and reasons he biased his way. They vote his way. Yeah, I definitely think it's Goldie's to lose. Those other three guys that we got on here have had really impressive seasons, um, you know, whether it be for average or for power as Alonzo just hit his 40th or just all around with Austin Riley. I think all these guys are deserving of it. It's just, They've all been really competitive competing with each other this whole season, really, for that award as the best player in the NL. Uh, we're going to shift over to the manager of the year, start off with the AL. Three guys here really could get it. All teams fighting for a wild card spot at the moment in Rocco Baldelli from the Twins, Scott Service from the Mariners, and Brandon Hyde from the Orioles. All three guys could win it. I uh, wouldn't be shocked. I do think it's going to be surveys just because of the turnaround that they've had in season you know obviously the Orioles didn't come into the season with you know high hopes and they're likely to finish over 500 which is impressive but I think for Hyde to win it they probably would have had to clinch the playoffs and with with it being four games out with 10 to go they likely will not have a spot I think the winner is going to be whoever gets that third wild card spot so right now the Mariners are four games up on the Orioles um, you know if something happens and the Orioles turn around and leapfrog the Mariners and the Mariners miss the playoffs then it probably goes to Hyde other way around probably goes to Cervais so I think that's what it comes down to is going to be you know which team advances I mean all obviously all three managers are deserving of it and have done a great job turning around the outlook and the culture of the team to this point in the season yeah I think you hit it I think it's really going to come down to what that last wild card spot looks like you know the turnaround that that the Mariners have had in season like you said has been incredibly one of that historic run Um, but the same can be said for the for the Orioles 
Um, they won another uh, massive run of their own and have certainly exceeded all expectations. I think if you look at any team across baseball and what their expectations were, they, they've been the team that has exceeded them to the greatest extent, you know, predicted to be the worst team in baseball this year um, by nearly every major outlet. And they are four games out of a, of a wild card spot, pushing towards the first day, knocking on the door of, of October. So it's something a lot to be said for what Brandon Hyde's doing there. I think he's really could be the guy to turn that turn that franchise around. I know, I know you have belief in that, and I think this year has been nothing but positive signs for him and that in that organization. So I, if if I had my vote, it'd be going to Brandon Hyde because I think just from a talent and resource perspective that the Orioles have there, you know, the help he's getting from the front office versus um Seattle, a team that's contending, he has a lot of talent under the radar talent, but nonetheless talent in a front office looking to make winning moves. You know, I think the Orioles kind of stood pat and still were sellers at the deadline. When you look at, you know, the Mariners went out and got the top arm on the market. I think it's two huge, you know, similar situations and teams that are four games apart right now, but entirely different approaches from the front office. So I think they didn't do a kind of think Hyde's very deserving of it. And if he get my vote, but over to the National League, where I think it's, it really is another two horse race. Oliver Marmol from the St. Louis Cardinals. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. But a guy who's you probably would be third in here. I think Dave Roberts could be up there as well, just with the injuries that they've managed on the Dodgers roster this year, with obviously going to break a record for franchise wins. But I think it's really going to come out of these last two of Rod Thompson of the Philadelphia Phillies and Buck Schulter of the New York Mets. You know, if the Mets don't win the division, I could see I could see it going to Rod Thompson. I think the job that he's done since they fired Girardi there, um, they looked dead in the water early in the year. They looked, you know, Bryce got hurt. They were not playing good baseball at all. Aaron Nola was struggling to kind of find the zone and get into his rhythm. And what he's been able to do and, and get them into a wild card spot, they hold the third wild card spot right now they're up a game and a half on the brewers but nonetheless they're in a position to win here um getting to the playoffs bryce is getting healthy i just think that the job he's done there taking over midseason um you don't really see that that often so really parts of stuff there from from him there and then buck Showalter just finally getting that team over the hump um they're really competitive obviously they're, they're in a race for the division but they're gonna win 100 games it looks like um and there's impressive stuff there um dealing with the injuries to the pitching staff all year you know the in and out of degrom and scherzer and um but i think Kind of getting the best out of his guys this year has been huge. You need Jeff McNeil having a career season. So um, two guys that are very deserving. Again, my vote would be going to Rod Thompson, but I think Showalter will win it because they're going to have a better record overall. Uh, but again, a similar deal with resources, um, you know, talent level, that kind of thing. Um, I would lean giving it, I would lean towards giving it to um, Rod Thompson. Yeah, you know, I'd probably go with Buck here just because I really like him. And it's, you know, obviously they have talent on that team, but, what he's been able to do, uh, you know, guys being in and out of the team with injuries this season uh, to be right up there at the top, currently tied with the Braves for that division lead, uh, you know, clinched playoff spot. It's been really impressive. Obviously they came into the season with high hopes, kind of high expectations, but for him, for them to fulfill those expectations, at least in the regular season at this point, it's been impressive. And, you know, the other two guys, they could win it, obviously. Likely all going to be playoff teams, still waiting to see if the Phillies are going to, you know, hold off the Brewers or not for that final wild card. But nonetheless, all three of these guys could win it as well, similar to the AL. Uh, just three coaches have done, you know, the most with what they have this year. And it's been really impressive to see all three of those guys stay true to what they are. And whatever roster that they put out on the field, they're producing. And, you know, they all went through slumps and stuff like that. And here they are at the end of the season, heating up, playing really well and ready for some October baseball. So I uh, wouldn't be shocked to see anyone win it, but I'm going with Show Walter. To wrap up our predictions before we get into the wild card race, we got AL and NL Rookie of the Year. Just a couple guys for each one here as it's a little more kind of specific, not quite as many contenders. 
contenders. AL, we got Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners and Adley Rutschman of the Orioles. Uh, I do think it's going to be Rodriguez. He's been called up this season. Played a little more games than Adley. Has a little bit better numbers. Uh, fairly similar, but Rodriguez has a little bit better power numbers. And he's played a good center field uh, or wherever he's played, really, as they kind of move him around occasionally. Uh, but he really sparks their run. He sparks the turnaround for that team. And he's the reason, really the main reason, uh, they're holding that third wild card spot in the AL right now. So I'm going to say it's him. Allie's done a great job this season. Obviously, highly touted first overall pick. He was supposed to be in this position. You know, he also came in as well. And that's when the Orioles turned it around, you know, a week after he was called up. He's batting like 260 right now. Uh, you know, obviously really good defender. Switch hitting catcher is always really valuable. He's really done it all for the Orioles on both sides of the plate as well. You know, being a clutch hitter is a lot of RBIs for you know, the amount of home runs he has. And that's saying something because, you know, a doubles machine, he's not really getting his RBIs off the long ball and has had an all-around impressive year for the Orioles, you know, really early year one in his career. So still sticking with Julio here as I think he's going to win it. But yeah, I mean, those two guys, both deserving of it. Yeah, I think we talked about it when, when Adley got called up was, you know, how long to lose the best catcher in baseball? And he may already be, you know, just what he can do defensively. The unique challenge he brings to pitchers at the play being a switch hitter. Um, I think he's going to have a monster year next year. If Baltimore can turn it around, I'll, I'll kind of make a hot take from the cold seat. He really could be an American League MVP next year. Again, I think it's really dependent on the Orioles bringing their talent to the big leagues and being aggressive in the offseason and going, hey, we have a lot of young talent here. We can do something. Let, let's make a push. I mean, we're gonna they're going to end up, you know, roughly three to six games out of a wild card spot this year. Why not be aggressive? Why not go make a move? You've got all this up-and-coming talent that's so young. Um, you know, Gunnar Henderson's another guy who, who got called up to the majors this year and obviously had a big first at-bat. And You might as well take the shot this offseason. And should they do that and, and, and really have to turn around and have a great year next year and make it, not even win the division, just make a wild-card spot. I think Adley will be at the heart of that. He could certainly be an American League MVP next year. Just, again, the uniqueness of the challenge he presents to pitchers at the plate, being able to switch hit and do it effectively as a catcher is unique. And there's there's no other no one else like him in he is one of one in Major League Baseball, which is, you know, hard to say about a lot of guys. Obviously, there's similarities to a lot of games, but there's nobody, quite literally nobody in the base, in baseball that does what he does at that level, which is really unique. But I think you're right. I think J-Rod been in the bit majors for longer this year. He really was the spark to that, that historic run for the Mariners that really put him into playoff contention. They really stayed there. They haven't left that spot. They've gotten there and they've clung on to the, to the spot in the wild card. So, you know, obviously you get the Herman Derby effect too, the hype. That's going to be a big part of it. A little more flashy than Adley, a little more outspoken. But again, both these guys are very deserving. Uh, I, I would give my vote to J-Rod just because, again, a little longer this season, a little more consistent. Again, the power numbers, that kind of stuff. Again, the team, um, I think he's got a higher war. Just overall, but you know, I think the margin is a lot closer than a lot of people think. I think people think this, this is going to be a little bit of a runaway for J-Rod, and I think um, the margin should be a lot closer than people think. Yeah, I mean, it really should be. I think both guys are you know, set to have incredible careers, uh, regardless of how long they end up playing. I think they're going to be really successful and not really. I mean, I'm rooting for Julio. I think he's going to win it even. Really excited to see what Adley can do for the Orioles as they're expected to be by this offseason so we'll see how they both develop and fine-tune their games to be the best player they can be but it should be fun to watch them over the next decade we'll get into our last kind of prediction of the night we're getting to the wild card race we got the national league Rookie of the year again this is a true two-horse race it kind of ends up this way every year there's usually two guys or one guy that really sticks out um you know you look at odds it's like i think rushman's like plus a couple hundred and j-rod's like minus a few hundred and then strider and harris are like it's like plus 120 minus 120 um something like that so um spencer strider and michael harris both of the atlanta braves spencer strider being a starting pitcher michael harris being an outfielder um 
Strider a little more high, highly of a touted prospect. Michael Harris can kind of come out of nowhere this year. Um, you know, I think Spencer Strider is going to get going to win it. I think because he's he's a lot more of a flashy player in terms of the fact that he gets his velo. Yeah, I think he's already thrown the fastest pitch in baseball this year, and he's hadn't been in the majors all year. And I think what he's been able to do for the Braves, he's really solidified questionable starting rotation. He's brought a lot of um, you know solidarity and and consistency there, um, which is something that they needed and something that's really you know sparked this run they've gone on late. Uh, Michael Harris having a great year as well, but um, I think Strider's going to end up getting in a tight margin again. But really, really unique to see two teammates um, kind of in a two horse race here. Um, certainly the Braves got something special going on there with all the young talent. Yeah, two guys that have propelled the Braves run and could help them end up winning the division. Honestly, it's tied right now. Nine games to go or so. So it's anyone's uh, division. The team that doesn't win, it's going to be the top wild card spot. So not a bad consolation prize. But nonetheless, you know, the team's definitely eyeing that division title and not wanting to settle for the wild card spot as it's just a little bit longer road to the title as a wild card team. The Braves are looking to repeat. So, I mean, both teams, the Mets and the Braves, wouldn't be shocked if they won it. You know, the Mets have been up there all year the Braves have been hot as of late uh really you know the past month or so so I think either team could win it diving into the AL wildcard race here we got six teams fighting the rest are eliminated or have won the division we have the Twins that are nine games back the White Sox that are eight back uh, have climbed up pretty quick here past month or so and I've lost a couple so they've fallen back a couple but uh the top team not holding the spot is the Orioles right now at four back you know they've kind of been up and down pitching hasn't been as good lately the offense has been on fire but sometimes offense can't keep up with other teams offense if your pitching is down so a couple disappointing losses from them in the last week that could be a lot closer still four games out you know still holding a little bit of hope and I think they could make a run. Uh, but the Mariners, you know, they're holding that last spot and four games up. So I don't know kind of what what will go down between the Mariners and Orioles uh, if they swap, if they hold. And also the Rays are only one game up on the Mariners for that second spot. So we could see, you know, the Mariners and Rays flip. We could see the Mariners-Orioles. We could see all three flip around and the Rays miss the playoffs somehow. Uh, still don't know for sure. I'd say the Blue Jays holding the top spot, two and a half up on the Mariners and one and a half up on the Rays. I would say that they're likely safe with nine games left. They're not going to lose six and a half game lead on the Orioles and be out of a wild card spot. So I'm going to chalk them up as a playoff team. But, you know, the Rays and Mariners still fighting, still need to win some games uh, to clinch that postseason burst. So it should be exciting down the stretch here. Twins and White Sox likely to be eliminated in the next day or so. Uh, so really a four-team race uh, at least for the next week and then it pretty much could be solidified a few games before the end of the season so really exciting AL wildcard race to this point like I just said it could be tight it could be the teams that don't have a spot could lose a few and it could be solidified pretty quickly here so a lot of stuff could happen but stay tuned you never know what can happen obviously with teams having such narrow leads over each other yeah no it certainly feels like the Blue Jays seem safe with two and with two and a half game lead with you know 10 to you know nine to 10 games to go but anything can happen in baseball um you know sweep could happen and they could be sitting there on the outside looking in um you know it, it's tough so definitely something to watch as we kind of go through the last week here um similar situation in the national league with the giants being eight games back likely to be limited the next couple of days um really a four-team race with the braves and mets headlining it at the top at plus 13 ahead of the pack in the or ahead of the wild card pack both have clinched uh, a playoff spot. They're currently fighting for the division and tied for a lead, tied for the lead in the National League East. Uh, number two are the Padres, who are two ahead of the pack, um, currently playing right now. Just started a series against the Dodgers, I think, believe a three-game set in San Diego. So certainly something to watch here if you're the Phillies and the Brewers. Phillies sitting at three, obviously they're even, and then the Brewers are a game and a half back. That may have actually updated since the, I think their game 
has since finished since we've started recording. So I will go ahead and double check that real fast. But um, while I do that, I'll kind of talk a little bit about kind of this race. It's really a three-team race um, with the one seed already locked up between Padres, Phillies, and Brewers. Um, and it's kind of shaped up this way for the past, you know, I guess month or so. Um, it really feels like, I guess it felt like rather that, that this is how it was going to go the whole way. And um, these two, these three teams are going to battle it out and, you know, whichever one was going to play the worst baseball was going to make it. Um, all three of these teams have kind of, I don't want to say gotten hot, but they've um, been playing better baseball as of late outside of the Phillies who, um, you know, were currently where they were holding that the second spot three and seven in their last 10 dropped them to the third spot. So either way, I still think it's going to end up being the Padres Braves and Phillies as the wild card teams, but the Brewers have the pitching to go on a run again. They're only half a game and a half back still are a game and a half back. So somebody here is not playing an extra game. Maybe it's because the Padres are still playing in their game right now. I don't know what the deal is, but the update, you know, tomorrow morning, but it should be interesting to see, like you said, with the American league, you so few games left, so much can happen. So much can go wrong. So much can go right for certain teams. So um, nonetheless, going to be interesting to watch on the stretch here and really curious to see how the order of this shakes out. Once we get to October baseball. Yeah. Uh, tight four team race here. For uh, the NL, I think the wildcard teams are going to be in the Mets, Padres, and Phillies. Uh, I do think the Phillies hold off the Brewers, but I do think the Braves pull ahead of the Mets and end up clinching that division. So, yeah, it should be exciting. That's it for MLB. Uh, we got a few NBA things to touch on here as we got coming down the home stretch of the episode and then wrapping it up with our ice bath. Yeah, uh, a couple of early news this, this past weekend uh, Pelicans and star shooting guard TJ McCollum agreed to a two year. $64 million extension that ties into New Orleans for the next four seasons. Um, so just a, a deal that tacks on two extra seasons to his current deal. Total remaining deals up to four years, $133 million. Uh, breaks down to 30, 33 and a quarter million annually. I'd love to get just a sliver of that. Like I said before, you know, must be nice. Um, but yeah, no, definitely um, a good deal for the Pelicans. Hopefully CJ plays this deal out with them. Who knows? Guys sign deals all the time and then leave, you know, a year or two later. So we'll see how that breaks down. Then on September 22nd, the Boston Celtics suspended head coach Ime Udoka for the upcoming season after he violated team policies, reportedly took part in a consensual intimate relationship with a female team staff member. Um, He'll miss the upcoming season and his future with the team is still uncertain. A bit interesting here. This kind of came out that he's going to be suspended and then it was going to be for a whole season. So you're thinking, is this some sexual misconduct? What happened? No, he just, you know, clearly broke. Obviously, when he signs his contract with the team, it's his, his job contract that clearly there's a personal conduct policy and probably something that you can't have a relationship, sexual or not, intimate relationship with coworkers per se or other other staff members on the in the organization. So um, clearly he broke that, and that must be a serious rule for the organization. Again, a, an entire season for the coach that took you to the NBA Finals seems a little extreme, and it seems like an overreaction, or there's some sort of personal reaction involved there. I'm not really sure. Um, it's been very unclear. Really no other details have come out since then. So a situation to watch as we go forward towards the opening day pretty soon here, um, and kind of as we get into the season, see what happens if that Suspension really sticks it here. I don't know if it's going to. Yeah, I know uh, his wife, Neil Long, wasn't, I'm sure, wasn't too pleased. Um, Probably not. Safe to say uh, (laughs) that their relationship is also, you know, under fire right now. But, you know, Ime was a guy that I really liked, one of the Greg Popovich disciples, as are, you know, a few other head coaches in the league currently. You know, what he did last season was incredible with the roster and the guys that they brought in, you know, they brought a couple guys in at the deadline that had big impacts, including Derek White. I agree with you. I think maybe 50 games or something. I don't know if, you know, a full 82 game, well, more than that, because it'd be a playoff team 
I don't know if a full season suspension is necessary, but I just think the Celtics are doing what they're doing. They're trying to, you know, look good. And obviously you don't know all the details of it or to the extent that their relationship was. But nonetheless, I mean, they weren't hesitant to pull the trigger, bench him for the year, so to speak. And I think the team will be fine. Obviously, you know, a coach doesn't make a basketball team. Players do, uh, similar to baseball. But I think it's definitely a big impact and definitely grabbed headlines uh, back on Thursday. It was definitely something to keep an eye on, what the Celtics determine his future to be with the team as, you know, their owner with the press conference as soon as they found out. Did say that, you know, they're going to talk about the long term with him and what they plan to do. Nonetheless, big news that came out. It should be interesting to see, you know, how the Celtics rebound from, rebound from that and perform this season. But also on the 22nd, um, just a, a little trade that happened. Detroit Pistons sent center Kelly Olynyk and point guard Sabin Lee to the Utah Jazz for forward Bojan Bogdanovic. Um, you know, all-star caliber guy in Bogdanovic. And he's definitely a dude that makes an instant impact on uh, the Pelicans or Pistons, excuse me. You know, Pistons are a team that really young. And, you know, while they're still going to be towards the bottom of the league, I think this is a move in the right direction for them. But Bogdanovich is a guy that's kind of moved around a few times, and I think he might have found a home here in the Pist- with the Pistons for at least next few years. Uh, you know, they got Cade Cunningham, obviously. Luca Garza, who, you know, is old for it only being his second year, but nonetheless a guy that can learn from Bogdanovich as they're similar players, uh, you know, just a versatile shooter. Heading over to Detroit is really good for him, and, you know, they haven't had really a star caliber guy in a little while. So I think he brings that to him. Uh, it should be fun to see you know, how the Pistons utilize him and uh, how they improve on last season. And then Olenek and Lee going to the Jazz, uh, not a shock. The Jazz have had a complete rebuild trading Gobert, Mitchell, and now Bogdanovich. I don't know what to expect, expect from the Jazz. Um, you know, still well-coached team. And the Jazz, you know, obviously playing in the competitive uh, Western Conference. I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs. Sure doesn't seem like it. But nonetheless, you never know what can happen with all these guys year one. But that pretty much wraps it up for our news segment as we wrapped up the NBA there. We're going to get into the ice bath here. We each got one for y'all today before the episode concludes. And I'm going to kick it off here as we have a few minutes left. Uh, MLB pitcher and former Orioles pitcher, Richard Blyer. He was pitching tonight against the Mets and on three straight pitches, uh, all against Pete Alonzo, he got called for a balk. A balk is basically where you make a move without becoming set first. If you make a move to the plate without becoming set or you make a move to another base after you're set. You know, three balks and one at bat is really unheard of. And prior to this, he had never been called for one in his career. Uh, All three were called by the first base ump and let the runner who started at first base all the way around. He came all the way around to score on that, uh, the three straight calls. And MLB reporter for MLB Network, John Heyman, tweeted that Richard Blyer is believed to be the first Jewish player to be called for three balks in one inning on Rosh Hashanah. I thought that was pretty funny. I didn't. I don't know if Heyman was hacked or what, but it's pretty funny that you know he he got into the details there. You know, Blyer was not a bad pitcher, not a great pitcher, but nonetheless a guy that pitched well for the Marlins this year. And really weird to see three balks in a row. As it looked like on the video that really maybe the first one was, but definitely the second two were not. Yeah, I saw I saw the clip right before we started recording. Um, that man lost his mind, rightfully so, understandably. Um, I'm glad it didn't cost him the game. Because it could have. I mean, obviously, a run scored. They didn't. They didn't lose the game. They ended up pulling out the win. But um, one of those little weird niche sports facts that you see that's just super random. And it's like, well, LeBron James is like the only player to score 
37 points, eight, eight assists and 13 rebounds and 36 and a half minutes in a game. Well, it's like, well, I mean, how many people have done that, but still kind of a niche kind of a thing with here with the only Jewish pitch to be called for three box and one inning on Rosh Hashanah. Um, one at bat nonetheless, but um, again, didn't cost him the game, but um, definitely needs to get looked at by the MLB. I've, talked at length about how umpires are the worst. So um, definitely needs to get looked at, have some consequences here for that ump. Again, cutting the cost of the game, so you can hold back and kind of laugh at it, but um, definitely a weird situation and 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 should warrant some looking into. But I'll get into my ice bath. Happened this weekend, Barstool Sports Legend, mentioned on the last pod, but Barstool Sports Legend and employee Dana Beers was in attendance for Texas Tech football's game this past weekend versus the University of Texas um, with his partner in crime, Glennie Balls. And what turned out to be an incredible game, likely a final game between the state rivals, the Red Raiders and the Longhorns. Um, Red Raiders walked it off in overtime on a game-winning field goal um, from kicker Trey Wolf. Uh, it was tied down the tight down the stretch. Red Raiders were down 14. Brett and I looked at each other and go, man, if, if UT goes up 21, we might have to head out of here early. Um, lo and behold, Donovan Smith and the Red Raiders fight back, uh, tied at 31. Uh, kick, kick a go-ahead field goal with 22 seconds left. And the Texas offense drives on the field, kicks a field goal as time expires to kick it to OT. Bijan Robinson, first play of overtime, fumbles, gives the ball to the Red Raiders, and Strider Thompson rips off a, you know, what, 18-yard run down to the seven, and Red Raiders shut up the ball in the rest of his history. Uh, Trey Wolf off the right leg of him to give him the win. And like I said, it was likely the last time they played the University of Texas um, for a long time, probably with them going to the SEC next year, it looks like. Great game, but uh, as, as the game winners hit, all the students rush to the field, all the fans rush to the field. Dano's in the student section. He rushes the field. He's obviously videoing. He gets the field goal in video. He videos. He jumps down, and he's sitting in, like, the end zone area. He's, like, right behind the end zone, right where, like, the cheerleaders are and uh, Bevo is for the University of Texas. Not, like, the actual, you know, cow, but, like, the guy dressed in the Bevo costume, the mascot. He uh, he jumps down. He gets, he gets onto the field with his phone. He makes sure he stops, turns around, walks back to Bevo and the cheerleaders, gives him maybe the greatest horns down I've ever seen. And then turns around and proceeds to continue celebrating. The picture that's in there, that's been put on, put on the internet. People, someone took a picture of Dana doing it. The video is incredible. He holds it for like a nice like eight count, just in in their faces. It's really funny, encapsulated. Kind of what, what ended up being a great game. Um, love to see Dana embracing his inner writer and looking forward to his commitment down the road for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's going to top the environment that he had uh, here in Lubbock. Obviously, maybe some bigger you know, tailgates and that kind of thing at maybe some of these SEC schools. But I don't know if it's going to top the environment that it was um, when the Longhorns came to town, obviously. Uh, meaningful game for the fans, meaningful game for the program, especially the way that it ended, the way that they clawed back and fought back um, to kind of come down from that lead. But um, nonetheless, great game. Um, really enjoyed it, Brett and I. Really enjoyed the experience. Um, you know, the game was really cool. Not only was it just a robbery game, but it was really good to see the team fight back and then get to rush the field, that kind of thing. Definitely a field storming win as opposed to the UH game a few weeks ago where we did not think that was a storm for a storm the field win. This one was light comeback win, walk off field goal against a rival top 25 team. Definitely deserved. Donovan Smith looked good too, so. Maybe that's part of the ass bath. Maybe he gets it right. Yeah, I got a few things on this. Uh, so we mentioned Dana last week, as you said. Uh, you know, what's interesting is he initially 
when he announced his tour of his top five schools, he initially planned on coming to Tech for the Houston game. And he canceled that and then rescheduled to the UT game. And I thought that was cool because obviously UT has a little bigger stakes while both teams were ranked pretty similarly. Uh, UT three spots higher at the time that we played him. Uh, both, you know, really good games, but the UT just had much more impact. Both games were fun. I mean, UT... Obviously, that matchup speaks for itself. I am a little bit of a stickler on what games are field storming worthy and what games aren't. Uh, you know, the Texas Tech fans like to rush the field if we win a game, period. I was shocked to see that nobody rushed the field after we beat Murray State 63-10. to 10. But nonetheless, UT was field storming worthy. Uh, you know, I said if we walked it off or if we won in the last like minute or so that we stormed the field. We did not do that against Houston. Uh, while, you know, everyone is, you know, taking in the full college student experience storming the field against Houston, you know, it doesn't quite mean as much if you do it. You know, a close game, but, you know, a win that you had five minutes left in the game. But, you know, we were watching the game, and Tech hit that go-ahead field goal to break the tie, uh, to go up 34-31 with 21 seconds left, like you said. You know, everyone starts – condensing down towards the bottom of the bleachers they start i knew i knew as soon as everyone started walking down to look at you and i go they're gonna have to come back up here they're gonna have to walk back up this is gonna go poorly i knew it we were were at the game with probably like eight people or so and they they, a couple of them walked down and i was like y'all gonna have to come up come back up here they have 21 seconds and i know they're gonna get in field goal range here they're gonna kick it whether they make it or not they're gonna kick it nonetheless they did a little questionable defense there by tim deruder the defensive coordinator and you know i I watch his a week outlook press conferences every monday and basically what he said on that you know 21 second you know drive where they basically went 50 yards in three plays uh, he definitely says he would call it differently, uh, not have quite as many guys deep, and he was just giving up, you know, 10, 15-yard plays every play. Got them in field goal range. Uh, they nailed the 47-yarder, I believe. You know, sent it to OT, so, you know, obviously the stadium kind of was deflated a little bit, you know, thinking they would have won it there in regulation. Overtime comes about. I told you, we, you know, we have to stay in the lucky seats. Uh, we stayed at our same row. We did. That, that we did. We did not move. We, you know, a lot of people condensed down towards the, you know, first five or so rows of the bleachers. We stayed up towards the top of the student section uh, in the seats that we stayed in the whole game said, you know, these seats got us this far. Can't turn on the seats and, you know, scoot up a few rows. It uh, didn't really matter. I and mean, we're going to get on the field regardless. Nonetheless, we stayed in the seats and nailed the field goal. Uh, you know, it was only like a 25 yarder uh, after the Bijan fumble. All we had to do was basically not turn the ball over and we were winning the game. You know, we just ran it a few times, like you said, nearly got in. Nearly got in the end zone there a couple of times. Uh, you know, Donnie slipped at the, like the three or something, and then they centered the ball and kicked it, like you said. Really fun game to watch, 37-34 final. You know, both teams obviously made some mistakes that, you know, they could have won the game in regulation. More so UT, you know, I think we had a few play-calling miscues and stuff like that, but I just think, you know, Kitley is kind of a little bit cautious with Donnie and his capability as a quarterback. You know, I think he probably calls the game differently for the different quarterbacks that, you know, would play if Shuck was healthy or if Morton was playing, he would probably call it a little bit differently. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, Donnie had probably his best performance of the year. Uh, I think three touchdowns, 330 total yards, no turnovers, which was big after he had five, I believe it was against NC State or something like that. But yeah, huge game, huge win, uh, second ranked win in three tries this upcoming game this weekend we'll probably touch on a little more but the red raiders travel to play kansas state uh this upcoming weekend who's ranked 25th just snuck into the rankings on sunday when they were released uh, it'll be the fourth ranked matchup or fourth ranked team that tech faces in a row and likely uh they're going to face six of seven uh, when it's all said and done before they play a lesser 
West Virginia team. But yeah, I mean, they got a tough stretch of games. You know, you look at their non-conference games and they play Houston and NC State, which are two really quality opponents, you know, basically two power five opponents with Houston joining uh, fairly soon. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed what I've seen from Tech and, and talking about Dana. He's got to commit. I saw something today. Uh, the Oklahoma State is also made his top five, and he has a visit planned uh, to head up to Stillwater. That is his final visit, I believe. It's uh, his commitment date's what November twenty first. I think that visit is scheduled like for that, yeah. that visit scheduled for November twelfth. Um, so you know that'll be his final visit. Uh, whether he still commits on twenty first or not, I guess it's to be determined. But I know the women's basketball coach was saying we got to get Dana here, get him to a game. Uh, in all respect, you know. Oklahoma State does have a good basketball team, but, you know, that's not going to top an environment of a walk-off field goal uh, against, you know, Tech and UT. So it's going to be tough for a team to top it. Dana said said it himself. Uh, You know, South Carolina was, you know, them and Tech were kind of fighting for that top spot. South Carolina hurt as a rowdy environment as well. But, you know, walk-off field goal, just the magnitude of the game, I think it's going to be tough for South Carolina to top it. And especially with us being his first visit, uh, we got to leave a kind of a mark on, you know, his expectations and stuff. And I think he's going to be comparing his other visits to tech from here on out as he has four more visits planned. Uh, but yeah, I mean, basically just touching on big win for tech Dana and Glennie, I'm sure had a great, you know, day that he, they were here in Lubbock as they had early morning flights Saturday and Sunday in and out. But yeah, I mean, fun to follow along with obviously you know kind of funny and i mean they're not real recruits obviously they're 30 year old men who love beer and are trying to find a college to root for so it is funny in the grand scheme of things uh that we're talking about it like an actual yeah. recruit but that's how he's treating it so we got to treat it the same way you know yeah respect his decision we like talking about it we will obviously have update probably won't talk about it again until he commits probably not going to talk about each of his visits yeah but, you know if something big comes out tech related we'll definitely touch on it especially in the ice bath uh, but that's pretty much it we have for y'all on the 31st episode of the cold seat podcast, you know, just a typical episode where we discussed uh, golf updates with PGA and live, and then touched on some MLB award predictions along with a wild card race and the NBA, uh, you know, signing a trade and a suspension. So a lot of stuff going on along with college and NFL uh, that we're going to touch on, but yeah, stay tuned in the, stay tuned to the cold seat podcast, wherever you listen to it, you know, Google, Apple, Amazon, Spotify, whatever. Um, and also follow us at Cold Seat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where we're going to be posting updates and stuff like that. As you know, when the episodes drop and we will see y'all soon. See y'all later.